Hello, everybody. It's June 25th, and this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What a blessing it is to redeem the time and make the most of this opportunity to grow in the grace and knowledge of our living Savior. This is the one-year Bible tour guide, and we are so pleased that you are joining with us for today's podcast, the 176th one for the year. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and today we will continue to read through the Bible with stops in the Old and New Testaments, as well as our daily fellowship with the heart cries of the psalmists and the wisdom nuggets of Proverbs. We are in the historical books that describe the reigns of the kings of both the northern kingdom of Israel, sometimes referred to as Samaria, and the southern kingdom, known as Judah. These are tumultuous times in which the people of both the north and the south give in to wickedness and idolatry. Yet we see reflections of God's loving kindness extended to the humble who give place to his word. Let's go now to our reading for today in 1 Kings chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, and we will read through to chapter 9, verse 13, and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, The Shunammites' Land Restored. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise, and depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household, and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. Now Elisha came to Damascus. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And when it was told him, The man of God has come here, the king said to Hazael, Take a present with you, and go to meet the man of God, and inquire of the Lord through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? So Hazael went to meet him, and took a present with him, all kinds of goods of Damascus, forty camels' loads. When he came and stood before him, he said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. But the Lord has shown me that he shall certainly die. And he fixed his gaze and stared at him until he was embarrassed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why does my Lord weep? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses, and you will kill their young men with the sword, and dash in pieces their little ones, and rip open their pregnant women. And Hazael said, What is your servant, who is but a dog, that he should do this great thing? Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, 
What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took the bedcloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face till he died, and Hazael became king in his place. In the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as the house of Ahab had done, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons for ever. In his days Edom revolted from the rule of Judah and set up a king of their own. Then Joram passed over to Zaire with all his chariots and rose by night, and he and his chariot commanders struck the Edomites who had surrounded him, but his army fled home. So Edom revolted from the rule of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram slept with his fathers, and was buried with his fathers, in the city of David, and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was a granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab, and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. He went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to make war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead. And the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds that the Syrians had given him at Ramah when he fought against Hazael king of Syria. And Ahaziah the son of Jehoram king of Judah went down to see Joram the son of Ahab in Jezreel because he was sick. Chapter 9 Jehu anointed king of Israel Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee, do not linger. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth-Gilead. And when he came, behold, the commanders of the army were in council. And he said, I have a word for you, O commander. And Jehu said, To which of us all? And he said, To you, O commander. So he arose and went into the house. And the young man poured the oil on his head, saying to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anoint you king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. 
And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dog shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. When Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, You know the fellow and his talk. And they said, That is not true. Tell us now. And he said, Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. And this concludes our reading from this portion of the Old Testament, the book of Second Kings. Both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom have departed from worshipping the one true God and are setting the false gods before them, particularly Baal. Jeroboam, Omri, and Ahab led the northern kingdom of Israel into idolatry. Jezebel influenced her husband, King Ahab, into making Baal worship the established religion of the north. Jehoshaphat's son, King Jehoram of Judah, married Ahab's daughter, bringing Baal worship to the south. God would send the wrathful judgment of seven years of famine to the land. The day of judgment had arrived for Ahab's dynasty, as predicted by Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 21 and 29. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, and will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free, in Israel. Elijah also predicted that this judgment would be delayed until the reign of Ahab's son, Joram. Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 29. Throughout the Bible, we see examples of God's providence. The word providence comes from two Latin words, pro, meaning before, and video, meaning to see. And combined, they form the attribute of seeing ahead. Yet we see that God not only knows the future, but He sovereignly arranges events in the future for His purposes without interfering with human beings' responsibility for their own choices and consequences. We see His goodness in providing for the Shunammite in chapter 8. The Shunammite woman is told by the prophet Elisha to escape the imminent seven-year famine that he prophesied would be sent by God upon the land of Israel. Seven years later, she returns to her homeland to discover that her property has been taken by strangers and she has been robbed of the produce of her fields. There is no mention of her husband, so we infer that now she is widowed. As she goes to the king to make her plea for justice, the king just happens to be hearing Gehazi speak of Elisha having performed a miracle of raising a Shunammite son from death to life. Gehazi points out the approaching woman as being the very mother whom he is speaking about. The king appoints an official to rectify the wrong that had been done to the widow in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 6. Elisha once again is able to deliver the mind of the Lord about events in the future. When the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, is ill, Hazael inquires of Elisha as to whether or not he will recover. Elisha instructs Hazael to tell him that Ben-Hadad will recover from this illness, but that the Lord had shown him that he will certainly die. Ben-Hadad would not die of the illness, 
but would be murdered by Hazael. Elisha weeps when he thinks of all that Hazael will do. He will suffocate King Ben-Hadad. He will do terrible things to the people of Israel. Yet Elijah had been told to anoint Hazael as king of Syria and Jehu as king of Israel. Elijah did not get to do this before God took him up. Elisha would have to complete this unfinished business. These kings and their actions would be instruments in God's hands to bring judgment on Israel and Judah and rid the land of Baal worship. Elisha sends a prophet to privately anoint Jehu as king of Israel. This would make him the only king of the northern kingdom to be anointed by God. He is given the assignment to rid Israel of the house of Ahab and the worship of Baal. Jehu lets his officers know that he is the Lord's anointed king of Israel. They quickly respond, paying him homage by sounding the trumpet and proclaiming that Jehu is king. And we will pick up the story again tomorrow. Now let's go to our next stop, which is in the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. Paul and Silas in prison. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, 
uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And this is the end of today's portion from the New Testament, the book of Acts. Paul, Silas, and Timothy see significant conversions in Philippi. First, Lydia and her household in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. Then the demonized fortune teller in verses 16 through 21. And after their deliverance from their shackles by earthquake, the Philippian jailer and his household are saved in verses 22 through 34. These accounts demonstrate the work of God in conversion. The Lord is at work in the preparation of the heart, the proclamation of the word, and the power of transformation as the hearers are granted the gift of repentance and faith. We also see the power of the enemy at work, opposing the gospel, instigating persecution, distorting and controlling the mind, and in the account of the fortune teller, bringing deception and oppression. At first, the demons speak through her a truth. These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Acts chapter 16, verse 17. Demons recognize God's position, but do not submit to God's person. Satan covets God's position and power. Satan also distorts what true salvation means. The biblical view of salvation is deliverance from the wrath of God against sin. It is deliverance from sin's penalty and power. It is also deliverance from Satan's domain. Why did the demons get involved by praising these men of God? This woman is inspired to distract and discredit the apostles' ministry. She was drawing attention to herself through her shrieking and giving unwelcome and inappropriate publicity to the ministry team. Paul discerns that the woman has a spirit of divination, literally a python spirit. Priestesses from Delphi were called pythons because they were plugged into Apollo, whose other name was Pythias. This girl, then, was one of the thousands of priestesses who served in the occult practice in the worship of Apollo. Some say they were ventriloquists. Luke does not commit either way. The fact was, she was demonized and needed to be delivered. Paul was aware of what he was dealing with, knew that there would be a disturbance, and so he waited for the right moment to cast out the evil spirit. He does so, resting completely on the merits of the one who has all power and authority, Jesus of Nazareth. The effect of the slave girl's deliverance is immediate. She is free. She no longer functions as an oracle speaking for the devil. Her occultic skills come to naught. The hopes that her owners had of making money off her demonic powers had come to an end. So they took Paul and Silas to face the authorities in the marketplace. The crowd joins in on the attack and orders that they be stripped, flogged, severely beaten, and imprisoned with their feet fastened in stocks. At midnight, Paul and Silas are singing praises to God in the hearing of all the prisoners. Suddenly there is an earthquake and everybody's chains are loosed and the prison doors fly open. When the jailer wakes up to see this, he is ready to kill himself, knowing that he would be held accountable for this jailbreak. Paul cries out, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. 
Rather than fleeing, the prisoners knew that they were experiencing an act of God. As the jailer calls for a light, he also asks the all-important question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas answer, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household, implying that this deliverance will be experienced by all who hear the word and obey its commands to repent of sin and believe the gospel. The jailer takes Paul and Silas to his home to treat their wounds, clean them up, serve them a midnight meal, and hold a baptism service. He brings them back to the jail in time for the magistrates to officially grant their release. However, Paul reminds the arresting officers of his Roman citizenship and the fact that he was unlawfully imprisoned. Paul and Silas are quickly escorted from the prison by the officers who request that they leave the city. They do this, but first stop in with Lydia to encourage the saints in Philippi before they go. Let's move on to our next stop in our Bible tour today in the book of Psalms, Psalm 143, verses 1 through 12. My soul thirsts for you. A Psalm of David, Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble, and in your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant." This is another prayer for relief. The psalmist admits his failure and the fact that all are sinners in need of mercy. And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. Psalm 143, verse 2. He confesses that he is hounded by the enemy, pressed into a state of darkness, and as a result is emotionally wasted. He decides to meditate upon God's works and reflects upon his faithfulness in the past. He is eager to get a word from the Lord and to know His presence. Listen to His prayer request. Let me hear Your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in You. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to You I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in You. Teach me to do Your will, for You are my God. Let Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. Psalm 143, verses 8-10 through 10. He concludes the psalm with a request for preservation, deliverance, and the destruction of the enemies of his soul. And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. And before we go, 
we must open the treasure chest of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, chapter 17, verse 26. To impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. This is a clear warning against those who would miscarry justice and punish the innocent. Let's conclude our time together with prayer. Heavenly Father, you know all things. Thank you for your providential care. You work together in all things for the good of your purposes. Leave us not to ourselves, but awaken us to your perfect will and give us the grace to perform it. We thank you for your anointed one, that you have made your Son, Jesus Christ, head over all things to the church. We gladly submit to his rule. Your grace teaches us to deny all ungodliness and destroy every idol that our heart manufactures. We echo the prayer request of the psalmist. Teach us the way in which we should walk. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that our time of meditation leaves you with your cup overflowing and yet hungering and thirsting for more. Jesus said a mark of his disciples would be those who continue in his word. So God willing, we will be here continuing tomorrow, not just in the hearing of the word, but in the doing of it, all through the transforming power of his grace. If you would like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can visit our webpage, newlife.org, where also you can subscribe and get a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on the Bible with illustrations. And as always, if you have questions or comments, you can write us an email at podcast at newlife.org. So until next time, shalom. May the peace of the Lord be abiding with you.